making progress through the gospel according to Matthew. You remember last week we got a picture of who is this Jesus that's going, uh, come down into this world. And he's, we watched his, ba- his baptism and temptation as he went to fight for us to, to restrain his desires in ways we could never do. And so this morning, having seen him emerge from the desert victorious, we're going to see how he goes about recruiting people for his mission. So let's read Matthew chapter 4, verses actually 12 through 25. Hear God's word. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, Jesus withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by way of the sea beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region in the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him, and going on from there he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went out throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. And this is God's word. It's absolutely true and trustworthy, and he gives it to you because he loves us. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, Even though we've been brought out of the kingdom of darkness and into your marvelous light, we confess that we still have darkness in our hearts. Uh, We we hear your command and call to follow you, and yet there are parts of us that that push back against that. And so we ask that you would send your spirit to open our eyes, to open our ears to hear the good news of the gospel of the kingdom, and that that your light would chase away the darkness in our hearts, and we we would trust you more deeply. So restore unto us the joy of your salvation and deepen our faith in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, in, in Spa Chapel, I, I've been speaking once a month in, the, in Spa Christian School here, and just telling the kids the story of John Patton, the, the Scottish Presbyterian missionary to the cannibals. Um, and it's been really fun. One, I get to bring a spear in, and the kid, all the boys, I have their attention. <laughs> But they've never heard of, of John Patton. And I've talked about him before, so some of you have heard his name. And we've come to the part in the story where John Patton, after four years of hardship and failure and loss, and has gone back home, he fundraised, he's retooling to come back to Vanuatu in the South Pacific, and this is in the 1800s, to preach the gospel to cannibals, people who were constantly threatening his life. He's going to a different island, the island of Aniwa, and he's trying to plant a church. 
And this, it's, it's unbelievable. He's signing up to go back into a place where, well, they'll flat out tell him or show up with, and say, I don't want you here. I'm, they're, they're, the people were continually trying to work up the courage to kill this missionary who has done nothing but be patient with them. And this was already after losing a wife and his child, uh, spending four years on an island, translating the Bible into a local language, parts of it, and had it, he left there with absolutely everything stolen. And so when he lands on this island of Aniwa, it's about seven miles long and two miles wide, he's hitting the shores of a people that only know revenge. This is their religion. Let me just tell you what they're like. Um, there was another neighboring island, Anidam, and some Aniwans, I know the names are weird, but they go to the island of Anidam just to, just to visit. And the island of Anidam were also cannibals, and they killed and ate all but one. And so when the Aniwans heard about this from this other, this, the survivor, they swore for revenge. They said, we're going to leave a mark in the dirt and renew it every year so we don't forget that when we see somebody from this island, we must kill them. And so the island of Anidam actually came to faith before Aniwa, and these were some of the Anidam, Anidamese, I don't know how you say that, <laughs> came with John Patton. And the week before he landed, they, the Aniwans had carried out their promise after 80 years of anger. And normal for John was daily being stalked by a local with a musket or a club, and John would have to run out to them often, hold the gun into the sky so he wouldn't be shot, or it's really hard to beat someone up when they're hugging you. So you would run up and hug them. And so as you hear the story, you're saying, why in the world would you sign up for a life like this? And John's answer all the way through his, his autobiography is, I'm doing it for my Lord and Master and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ said, follow me, and he followed Christ into the heart of the jungle to live and die for, I mean, he survived, for a people that everyone in the world thought weren't even human because of their savagery. Why would he do that? I mean, people do that today. When I first landed in Madagascar, I met a young missionary who was trying to plant a church on a fishing island off the west coast of the island. This was just my first night. And I remember him saying that the witch doctor did not want me there. They caused all kinds of problems. They, he was calling down curses, and I got deathly ill. He had to be medevaced off the island. And when he recuperated, he said, I want to go back. I mean, that was at the point when I met him. Why would, why would somebody do that for Christ, to volunteer, to sign up, to suffer, to be a fisher of men, so to speak? I mean, even in our passage, you see Peter and Andrew and James and John. I mean, these guys are sacrificing family and career for the mission of Jesus. And so this morning, what I want to get us to think about what is it about Jesus and his kingdom that gets men and women to care for the forgotten, uh, to sacrifice their career, and at times even divide their family uh, for the sake of this kingdom. All right, or make it more personal, what will get you and I to be willing to, to make a little less money or to, well, to sacrifice our time and our freedom for the sake of following Christ, to, to make his good news known among the nations, here in our community and to the ends of the earth. I mean, that, that's what our passage is about. Jesus says, if you follow me, no, he doesn't say if. He just says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. 
And so let's look at this. What will move us to do some of these things? And the first thing we see in verses 12 through 17 is it's just the way the kingdom is. It moves men and women uh, to, to go after the forgotten, the abandoned. It's the invasion of the kingdom. It's actually the nature of the kingdom that moves people to follow Jesus as you see where Jesus lands. And so to answer this question, we've got to ask the question, what is the kingdom of heaven? I mean, Jesus says this like 50 times throughout the Gospel of Matthew. Repent for the kingdom of dawn, kingdom of heaven is dawn. What is he talking about? And so, we don't live in a monarchy, obviously. But we do know what it's like to have a new leader come into power. Uh, who, who comes in with new policies, a new vision for how the world should go, um, and how he's going to act it out. I mean, that's what our president is doing. It's not, he's setting up a kingdom of sorts. Any, any new president, that's what happens. And so you think about it this way, that between the election and the inauguration, you had this picture, the kingdom of Trump is at hand, just waiting for it to happen. That, that, that's John the Baptist's ministry. Where after the inauguration, you could say that the kingdom of Trump has dawned and he's starting to go to work. And this is, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the kingdom of heaven. That Jesus, when he's bringing the kingdom of heaven, he is the king, he is the ruler, but he's coming down from heaven to earth to set into place among a people a new way of life, a new vision for life. It's a completely new set of policies under God's rule and reign. It's a heavenly way of life is what we're going to see. And so in the beginning of 4.12 through 4.17, you're seeing Jesus saying, Heaven has begun to invade earth because I am here. It is at hand. Follow me. And we're going to get a picture of this kingdom. is going to be radically different from anything you and I have ever seen because of the one who is the king, Jesus. Completely different. It's the kind of kingdom we long for. It's the kind of kingdom that goes to a place like Naphtali and Zebulon, that goes to a forgotten corner of a, of a forgotten kingdom and says, I want you to be ambassadors, to be my messengers, to be my witnesses. Because if you look at where this begins, I know Zebulon and Naphtali don't mean much. We'll talk about it here in a minute. This is where heaven invades earth. In this territory, in, in ancient Israel, of Zebulun and Naphtali in the northernmost part of Israel, in the northeast. And it, to, to the original hearers, I think this is a bigger bombshell than it is to us because of the distance and because of the difference in culture. But it's saying that God, when he wanted to bring heaven to earth, he didn't go to the place of power, the capital. He went to a part of the country that everyone else would just write off because it's too dark, it's too hopeless, it's too poor, and too pagan. These are the people, well, I can tell you, in 732, Tiglath Pileser, the king of Assyria, his name's written for you in your bulletin, in case you want to name your future children after him. <laughs> Tiglath Pileser, he started and took over the northern tribes. He completely pulled them out of the country and repopulated it, not only with some of the Jews who were left, but with pagans, with Gentiles. And so this was just the part of the world when Israel was going to be evaded. It was conquered first, 
And because of the Assyrian invasion back in 732, what was left of the worship of God was just a mess. Uh, they, didn't go to, they didn't think they had to go to uh, Jerusalem. They didn't follow the sacrifices in the same way. They would talk about Yahweh, but they also had their other gods. And so if you were from Jerusalem, you would look at Naphtali and Zebulon. You know, they're just, they're too pagan. They're too close to the Gentiles. They're not pure. They're not clean. We're not going to bother with our time there. And so immediately after, Jesus emerges from the desert victorious by, by telling the devil to flee, by saying you should only worship the Lord your God alone. Jesus starts his ministry in a place where people are not worshiping the Lord. I mean, that, that's the background of Isaiah, this prophecy that Matthew's talking about. Naphtali and Zebulon is a place of darkness, a place of hopelessness, a place of despair, of sickness, of disease, of trial, of hardship, of oppression and unbelief. And this is where Jesus chooses to begin his ministry. Right. And you think about it, if you were going to start a kingdom, if you want a movement to take off, where do you start? We would go to the places of power and influence. You know, if you're going to influence New York State, you go to New York City. Or you go to Albany. You don't, you don't go out into the forgotten northeast corners. You don't go out into the small towns, into the trailer parks or the slums. And yet here's Jesus in the northeast part of the kingdom, among the forgotten, among the powerless, saying, repent, for here the kingdom of God has come. I'm starting here. It's pretty astounding. This is the kingdom of heaven. And you're seeing that God's priorities are completely different than our own. All right. Because Jesus landed in this part of the region, Matthew says the scriptures have been fulfilled. A great light has dawned on the hopeless in Zebulon and Naphtali, even on the other side of the Jordan River, even on the Gentiles, on the nations. He's saying the kingdom of heaven has dawned. It's begun. And there, the quote from from Isaiah is actually it slightly changed from the from the Greek and and one of the things that it's saying that the kingdom of God is near in, in Isaiah in the Old Testament in the Greek Old Testament and Matthew changes it to say no it, it has dawned it's begun the sun has started to rise because the king is here and he goes to the darkest parts of the Israel to begin this invasion and so with this in your mind, think about, think about all the different kinds of people in this, this part of the world. You have people who know who Yahweh is. You have people who are Gentiles, who are part of the nations, who have no clue who God is. People who don't know God's word because it's too pagan. All right? if, if you're a new Christian, a Jew, reading the Gospel of Matthew for the first time, how would you hear this? You're, you're hearing, I mean, this is what I want you to see, that Matthew is telling you that Jesus started his ministry with the Gentiles in mind, with the nations in mind, with outsiders in mind, with the poor in mind. And then he says, all right, now I'm going to train a people so that when you get to the end of Matthew and he says, I want you to go out into the world and make disciples of all nations, he's saying, this has been my priority of the kingdom from day one. So, you think about it, if you're a Jew for the first time and they're saying God cares about Gentiles, maybe I'm going to have to eat with them. It's uncomfortable. Or if you've never heard who God is and, and you see Jesus going to the forgotten corners, the trailer parks, the slums, the hood, 
right? The, the ghetto, the places where people don't want to move to. It's encouraging because they're saying, God actually cares about me. See, the kingdom of heaven coming to earth is about God coming into human lives to the forgotten people who live in the forgotten places so that he might make them fishers of men. And Jesus starts by going to a people that everyone thinks are too pagan to change. Right. New York. I mean, I'm, I'm using those words on purpose. <laughs> Our people down south come up here to be missionaries. So when Jesus says, follow me in the next passage, the next part of the passage, and I will make you fishers of men, you and I are supposed to hear that there is no corner of the globe too dark, no people who are too unclean or too hopeless or too pagan or too poor, that there are no lost causes. The kingdom of heaven has come to invade earth to pursue a people that feel forgotten so that God might show them in the gospel that they are not forgotten in Christ. See, the gospel is the good news that the kingdom of God is going to go to the ends of the earth, to every tribe, every tongue, even every family, every nation. And Jesus doesn't wait to the end of his ministry to make that clear, which is a really powerful way to start the gospel of Matthew. He's saying, this is where you're going to go, now follow me, and then he immediately starts teaching. And then you see all the things he does in Matthew chapter 10 and following, and then he sends his apostles out to do the same thing. That the, the gospel of Matthew is a missionary training handbook to say, now that you have received the grace of God, follow Christ into the world. It begins right here. And so maybe for us, the question to ask is, what hard places have you written off? Or what hard people have you, are you looking past? What hard people are you deciding that aren't worth your time and money and effort to sacrifice for? I mean, Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is made up of people that are going to make you uncomfortable. They're not, they're not your first choice. Because the kingdom of heaven always invades the nobodies, the small towns, the hopeless places, and brings renewal, and brings hope, and brings healing. It's, a, it's good news. Which should be hopeful to us. That Jesus would start his ministry in a place like Naphtali and Zebulon for people living in Boston Spa. And we're not the center of power. Or from Galway or some of these. I and mean, every time I meet somebody, there's another new town I didn't know existed because it's so small. And Jesus is showing us by going to Naphtali and Zebulon and all these little towns around Capernaum. These are the kind of places that God wants his kingdom to go to. Second, this is the invasion of the kingdom. Now we get to see what the call of the kingdom. That what kind of, how does God get us involved and invested in his mission? And the answer is he tells us to. And he calls us in. You see this in verses 18 through 22, the famous fishers of men passage where Jesus just comes up to these guys working and says, follow me, and they, they listen. I mean, there is some context in the background. Jesus, this wasn't a, a cold call of where they'd never heard of Jesus before. But at the same time, the way Matthew tells the story, he wants you to see that their obedience happened because of the command of the king. Right? That this is how your spiritual journey begins with Jesus, and this is how it continues. You hear Jesus say, follow me. 
And it's an authoritative call. It comes from somebody who has divine authority. You know how this works. If somebody just comes up to you at work and says, I want you to follow me, we say, well, why? Who are you? Why do I care? Why should I listen to you? And there's none of that here. I mean, Jesus just shows up and as the king has the power and authority to grab people and say, you're going to be on my team now. You're going to follow me. And so this is what, what we're called to see, that the call of God to come into the kingdom, it starts with a command. I know that, that drives us Westerners nuts. We want our religion to be like a going to a mall of just being able to pick and choose what we want. We want a good commercial to persuade us, to convince us to buy in. But reality is, Jesus says, I'm not there knocking on the heart door of your heart to say, let me come in, please. I'm saying, you're going to follow me. He is knocking on the door, but he's going to get you to open the door <laughs> through his word saying, follow me. Right. Let's look at how a relationship with God begins. This is the call of the king, the creator, the Lord. I mean, the way this worked, you see, this is, Jesus is completely turning the way uh, a rabbi and student relationship worked in that, in that day. He turns it around. Because in the ancient times, if you wanted to follow a teacher, you went and found him yourself. You say, I want to be like you. you. You can help me. And Jesus turns it around as the teacher and actually goes and orders the students to follow him. And he puts them to work almost immediately to prepare them for mission. And so Jesus, the rabbi, the king, comes to these blue-collar fishermen and says, you will do my will. You're going to be fishers of men. It's a powerful statement. Jesus says it all over the place. John 15, 16, you did not choose me, I chose you. And I sent you to bear fruit. He's commanding. And our pride hates this. I, this is uncomfortable. And yet, this is the nature of the kingdom. It is incredibly gracious. It goes to the forgotten, but he goes to the forgotten and says, if you want to find, if you want to see light, follow me. All right. The gospel, from our perspective, comes to us. It'll come through a friend, maybe. It'll come coming to a church for the first time, or you hear a song. I mean, one of my buddies got converted in seminary just through a liking black gospel music in Japan. And he read the lyrics and said, oh, that's, that's good news. Where do I find about this? It's in the Bible. And he got converted and came to seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. But he heard the call of Jesus say, follow me. See, if you ever respond in faith according to the scriptures, if you ever actually leave your job or sacrifice your family, you give up some time and money for Christ, it's because Jesus initially sought you through the relationships in your life. And if you don't believe me, just think about where your life would be if you were born in Saudi Arabia or North Korea or any other country in the world which doesn't believe that your religion is a choice, that it comes through other ways, through your culture. I mean, the fact, Christian kids, if the fact that you were born into a Christian family Jesus has been saying, follow me since to you, since you were born in the womb. And being in church, it's a privilege. And even though it's a privilege, it also comes with this authority that says, you must take up your cross, as Jesus will say later, 
and aligned your, your ways with my will. Right? So there's, there's a divine authority, but look at the radicality of the, is that, is that a word, the radicalness of the call. I mean, just how drastic it is. What these guys do. Look what they leave behind. James and John leave their father Zebedee. I mean, he has hired servants. He's not completely alone, but they leave their father. They completely re- reorient their whole identity. I mean, to us, it's not a big deal because families live all across the country in our culture. But in their day, you did what your father did. That your family was your identity. And by virtue of well, following Jesus, they not only were taking a pay hit, right? they weren't giving up their career completely, because you see them fishing later, but they are sacrificing time and money and future and success, all and the family, all for the sake of Christ. It's a reorienting, saying Jesus' will matters more than mine. His future is more important than, than what I want my future to be. This is incredibly drastic. Because that's what Jesus calls us to do as his followers, to reevaluate every nook and cranny of our lives in light of his will, in light of the kingdom. Just, just read the Sermon on the Mount. Where Jesus says, now you have to think about your anger and your motivation behind your anger. Now you have to think about the words you use. If you even call somebody a fool, you've broken that law. You have to think about who you're in relationship with. What is marriage? Who gets to define marriage? Jesus is going to go on and say, if, if you, you can't be my disciple unless you hate your mother and father, that whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves their son or daughter more than me, Jesus says, is not worthy of me. And Jesus demands reign and rule over your bank account, your time, your talents, what you do with your body, what you think about, who you date, who you marry, your honesty, your anger, how you, how you even make a promise. I mean, your generosity, he's going to say, it's not just enough to, to give, but don't give and trumpet it and tell the whole world about it. Just, just give. Give humbly. But on top of that, if you want to give, let's talk about when somebody takes from you. Don't be so attached to your stuff that you just want to retaliate because someone steals from you. Just give them their, their cloak if they want it. And turn the other cheek. Everything is second when you are in relation to me, says Jesus. Follow me. This is an authoritative call that says you have to do this, but it's also a radical call. And I know at this point it's like, well, who can do that? Who can, who can give up all that? It sounds impossible. But you've got to tie this together with the nature of the kingdom. That God comes to nobodies, to the dark and hopeless places and people, and says, follow me. I'm going to be with you in this. See, I'm, I'm trying to highlight the, the hard and soft parts of Jesus' call into the kingdom. But it is, I don't want to take away what Jesus says here, that he says, you and I must follow him and actually reevaluate our lives in, t- in light of his entire will, not just the parts we like. And at the same time, we're called to do this not to get things from him, but because everything he has is a gift. Because you look at it in verse, when Jesus goes and preaches in verse 23, he's proclaiming good news. I know this sounds heavy, but this is good news. 
Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel in Mark chapter 1. The same, similar idea. That it's good news. You want this king to be in control of your life. I mean, think about the nature of the gospel. I, I'm sure I've talked about this before. The gospel itself is a particular historical kind of announcement where, well, in, in the ancient world, it would be like the announcement of a new king who has come to power. And all you, it has nothing to do with you except the fact that he affects your world and you have to respond one way or the other. Or it's the kind of news that would take place when you're sitting in your city knowing that the foreign army is out there ready to burn your city to the ground and a guy comes running from the battlefield to tell you that, that your team has won, you will live. He's proclaiming a gospel. That's the kind of message that Jesus comes with. He's proclaiming good news to say God is here. He's calling you to follow him, but he's calling you to follow him as he proclaims his grace. And it's, it's not give up everything so that you can get God's affection. It's look at the nature of the kingdom. Look at the nature of the king who will give up everything so that you'll want to follow him. All right. See, Christianity is radically different from religion. Religion says, if I want God to bless me, uh, to, to bring his kingdom, to have all of his benefits come into my life, I have to obey. I have to live out the radical nature of his call for, to get his attention. And the gospel completely turns that around and says, look, heaven has come down to earth, something we never expected, and he takes the gracious in initiative to give us what we need. See, in religion, you work really, really hard to impress God to get his attention and benefits. In the gospel, he proclaims, you have my attention because of your need. The king has come. The king has landed. See, the call of the gospel is to see that, yeah, Jesus has complete ownership of your life. He's the king. He says, follow me. But as Peter and Andrew and James and John are going to learn that the king that they are following, um, he's not going to say, take up your cross and follow me out of the blue. Right? He's not putting unrealistic expectations on them and then not do follow and fulfill the same command himself. He's saying, follow me, do what I'm about to do. You see, the king who says radically and authoritatively, you must... You must live your entire life in light of the kingdom of God, that, he make, that God makes a claim on absolutely every part of you is the one who walked faithfully through the desert, who walked faithfully to the cross and willingly laid down his life for you and I so that we could see that the call of this king on the other side of the cross is an incredibly gracious one, one that's not based on our performance but on Christ. I mean, if you read the Quran. It's saying, follow Allah. It's a command. And if you don't, you will burn. It says that over and over and over again. Yeah. And just read it straight through. The gospel of the kingdom says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Look at the king who laid down his life for you. Look at the king who burned for you. This is the one who says, follow me. 
And then, in light of that, then he's going to work his will in your life. I, he promises, I will make you fishers of men. And this is the last point. You see the mission of the kingdom. Heaven comes and invades you and, and just throws God's grace in your face in Christ. But he makes a dramatic call on you, and then he says, I'm going to prepare you for my mission. I'm going to send you out into the dark and hopeless places in the world. I'm going to make you fishers of people, fishers of men, which means you and I, by virtue of our association with Jesus, are in the redeeming lost causes business. (laughs) It's talking about evangelism, just telling other people that the kingdom of God has come, look at the king, repent and believe in him. And the good news, as you read this, is it's not an instantaneous process. Right? Jesus says to Peter and James and John and Andrew, I will make you fishers of men. I'm going to teach you and train you to be my witnesses. Do you know how long it took Peter to get that message? Three years. I mean, maybe that's why seminary takes so long. I don't know. But it's, it took three years of training of teaching, of learning, of going out on an experience failure of actually end success. I mean, it took, it not only took watching Jesus die and seeing his own failure in light of that, but it also took a series of dreams and visions and, and God actually showing someone in Peter's face that look at this Gentile, this, this is Acts chapter 10, look at Cornelius. The Holy Spirit is coming on him and he's praising God in another language. The Holy Spirit is there. You have to see that God actually cares about these people. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And Jesus had that plan from the beginning. That he's going to train you and I to be his disciples, to prepare us to be fishers of people. Peter and Andrew were not instantly made into spiritual superheroes. They didn't have... All the knowledge beamed into their minds. They didn't, they didn't immediately go out and change the world. They went through a rigorous missionary training process. As they started to learn about how to follow Jesus, to learn more about their depths of in it, their inability to follow him, <laughs> learning more about the grace of the kingdom, and just generally being equipped over time to do what God had promised he would do. And so this is, if you are a Christian, this is part of the call. Jesus says, follow me. It's a command. But then he says, I will make you over time into a fisher of people. And you don't, it's not an excuse to not do anything right now. It's just saying it's going to be patient. From the moment you start your journey to the end, it, it's a process. But to, You notice the way Jesus teaches people in Matthew. He doesn't wait to the end before he gives them the experience of trying. Jesus calls all the 12 disciples in Matthew chapter 10 and then immediately sends them out to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. Whether they felt prepared or not, that's part of the learning process. But Just think about the metaphor, being fishers of men. If you're a fish, fishing is a miserable process. Right? You're, you bait the hook, you get them to bite down, you put a big gaping hole in their mouth, and you, you reel them in, and then they die. And then you clean them and fillet them and eat them. And that's the whole point of the, 
these guys' career. They were fishermen. They, were, they weren't fishing for fun recreationally. They were, they were using nets to destroy the fish so that they could live. <laughs> the whole purpose of fishing was to tear the, to the fish apart. And Jesus turns the picture around and says, I want you to treat people like fish, but not to destroy them, but to, to, to help them thrive. Not to harm them, but out of love, to lead them into the kingdom of heaven, to, to save them from destruction, to give them forgiveness through Christ, to give them friendship, to show them steadfast love, to show them eternal life, all by putting Christ on the hook. That's our bait. And for all the hardness of the call, to say, come in, follow me. You don't have a choice. I mean, you do, but the king's telling you, you should follow. It's saying, I want you to make sacrifices to love the unlovable. But for all of that, Jesus says, the bait to get people to bite is that I myself am going to go on the hook and be destroyed to draw people in. And you think about what he gave. I mean, the call says, give up career. Right? Just be, be satisfied with the gifts. Don't, don't, you don't have to be at the top. You just take, take a pay hit. That's what these fishermen did. Or, or to, to reorient your whole identity around Jesus. Give up family. You see Jesus saying, look, I gave up my father so that I could have you. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me on the cross? You see him give up the glories of heaven to come down in humility, down to earth, to go to the forgotten corners of the earth, to cast his net to bring us in. That's the nature of the kingdom. Jesus gave up comfort. He says the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He was homeless. See, the gospel is good news. It's with a crucified hand, Jesus says, follow me. And you and I, as fishers of people, are saying, show Jesus on the hook and watch what the Holy Spirit does to draw people in. We're, we're just called to cast, cast the net, to preach the gospel. This is what we're doing week in and week out. We're through the preaching of the word, the proclaiming of the gospel, that's what I do. I'm hoping somebody will bite that you'll hear Jesus' call and you'll fought, pick up your cross and follow him into the mission field, into our community, into the forgotten places, into the lives of hard people. Because God came into our lives and we're hard people. See, Matthew, I just want to reorient. I mean, Matthew is a gospel. It's telling you about who Jesus is and why he came, but it, it really is a missionary handbook for the early church of training you, how do you grow in godliness? Absolutely. But godliness has a purpose, to make you a fisher of men, as heaven has come down and called you to himself. So conclusion. All right. The king invades your life. This is the, the invasion of the kingdom. He's telling you to follow him in order to train you and I, to go out into our neighborhoods, to go out into our communities, to, to talk to people that we are currently in relationship with, to love the unlovable, to bring light into the darkness by proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, to make us fishers of men. I mean, this is why John Patton was so willing to suffer. He knew what his master and Lord had suffered to bring him into the kingdom. And he also knew 
that the parable of the kingdom, as Jesus says, it's like a, a fisherman casting out his net on the last day. And he pulls in all kinds of fish, and then at the last day he's going to separate the good fish from the bad fish, the evil from the righteous, and the, the wicked will be cast away and the righteous will be brought in. John Patton knew that the kingdom of God was saying that there are those who will be destroyed if we do not go fishing. And so he took his own life in his own hands, but not really because he knew who was king. He trusted the Lord. Jesus told other parables. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. And then in his great joy, he went and sold everything that he had and bought that field. Right? The radicality of the call. Give up everything to have this kingdom because it's such good news. But the other side of that is that you see Jesus doing that already. What's the treasure in the field that Jesus found and gave up everything that he had to have? See, that's our motivation for mission. When Christ is saying, will you follow me into the forgotten places of the community to go and find great pearls of great price, to go find my treasure that's buried in a field? It doesn't look significant right now, but neither did you when I found you and I said, follow me. And it might hurt your career, it might offend your family, but he will make you fishers of men. And he's going to give you all the resources, his teaching, the presence of his spirit, a community. That's what the church is about. To train us to be the kind of person who runs into the hard places like Christ, who turn the hardest place, our own hearts, hearts of stone, into hearts of flesh. So that we might be willing to hear his call and follow him wherever he might lead. Let's pray. Father, I, we just heard good news alongside of the, the hard commands. And so I pray that you would uh, show us that the gospel of the kingdom is good news, that you brought us in solely by grace, and now you are training us. And so I pray for those of us who are afraid, uh, that you would give us courage and comfort in, in the cross, and see that you are with us, and that you will give us words to speak. And I pray for those of us who, are, who just don't feel equipped for the task, that you would use our time together as a church, the various discipleship ministries, to train us and continually move us out into the hard places. Lord, use your church to build your kingdom through ordinary people like us here in Boston Spa. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.